Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. This week, it's 97. I got it now. What? Hey, welcome to As You Were, podcast about Alkaline Trio. We are here to discuss an Alkaline Trio song. My name is Tim Crisp. I'm the host of this program. I am joined by my friend and intern, David Anthony. Dutiful assistant is what I prefer. My DA, David Yeah, Anthony. baby. My DA, DA. Um, hey, we got a ripper. <sighs> yeah, buddy. On the docket for this week. And this is this is a song. This is such a canonical Alkaline Trio song. This is this is a a song that we both have such intimate feelings mm-hmm. towards, and it's something that we haven't really addressed on this show thus far. These are the hardest songs to talk about. Hardest, yeah. I I've I think this is why we discussed in last week's episode. You know, we get some bad reviews from people who disagree with us. But I think part of that is like it's really easy to talk about why I don't like something, but like with a song like this where it's just so innately important to me, yeah, and I love it so much. It's really hard sometimes to go beyond like it's great and a song that you've been screaming along to for half of your life. It's like how how can I put all of this into terms that you know that I can really like project and and allow people to understand like why I in particular think it's great, why I objectively think it's great and try and get as much much in as I can. And it's just like, and and, like, this is one where like objectivity goes out the window for me almost because it's it's so important to me. My high school band, uh-huh. We covered this song in our high school cafeteria. No way. Swear to God. How did that go? Okay. Yeah. Uh, what did you play? I played guitar and I sang. Wow. Uh, okay. We, we covered this. We covered, covered, we played one of our songs and we covered something else that I can't remember because we were like, we're not allowed to play at the talent show. So there was like a coffee house thing that the art teacher did and uh-huh. she really liked us. So like we got to play under a different name because we were like not allowed to play the other thing. It was dumb. But why would you have to change your name? Because like they, there, there's a lot of like high what school was, drama. Oh, what was your name of your band uh, when you auditioned for the talent show? The name of our band was the Mall Santas. Now, we did not get it. Hold on to the end and we'll talk about the name that he played under for the cafeteria performance. Yes. I've never performed this song, and that's probably for the better for a lot of reasons, but it, it this isn't exactly an easy song to get. There's a lot of dynamics, a lot of pauses, a lot of... One of the hardest drum performances that is just like a testament to like Glenn just full on going for it. Yo, one thing that I love about Glenn in this song is that, and this is this is something that I think I will always go bananas for. You got a song with hard stops in the first verse, hard stop it. Yep. Hard stops in the second verse, just play, play through. through. And he's all over the place. I really yeah. like when he just has, he's just getting as much as he can in before the beginning of the measure. I mean, because, like, the song is literally him overplaying, but it's perfect. Like, I think a song like this could, you know, it has these slower sections. It has 
all these dynamic shifts, you really got to drive it home. And there's nothing better to me at the very end when he's doing that roll and hitting the hi hat. Yeah. And it's just like so chaotic. And yeah, it's one of those songs that I remember hearing it the first time and just being like, this is the best Alkaline Trio song. No question. Best song ever. It really, you know, I think it's, it's definitely anytime someone would bring it up in those terms, I don't think it can be argued. And it's a song too that's had many lifespans yes so by the time we get to the version that we are all the probably the most familiar with which is the last song on the asian man Records self-titled collection from 2000 uh this song has been around for a couple years at that point they've recorded it it was on the demo and so you know we've got you've got two years of build before the actual mm-hmm. recording of the version that we're all well, that familiar we know, with. Yeah. So there's a there's a lot of thought that goes into just those those little tiny bits of flair that you know all three members really have. Yeah. Well, and also you know famously it's the first song they ever wrote together. Yeah. You know, so that makes that's really interesting too because I think sometimes when a song sits for a little bit. You know, people, they start to overthink it. They start to want to change it. And they really don't. When you listen to the demo version, all those component parts are still kind of there. And it's just produced a little better. Yeah, really. And it's like, it's crazy, too, to to look at this song and to hear the demo version. And we talk a lot about Skiba, like, not having a guitar tone dialed in for, like, a long time. Mm-hmm. But that guitar line which is a really simple, you know, really a, just a two-string, like, arpeggiated thing, there's not really a version that exists where it just doesn't sound so fucking good. Yeah, and well, and, I mean, it sounds great, and also just, like, if we're talking about, like, the the cadence of how he plays that, there's the two-string intro, and then in some of those instrumental passages, he will kind of arpeggiate certain chords open again, yeah. which is not a thing he ever really does ever again right you know and granted like i understand why because it would feel weird on a lot of the songs he writes later but like i don't know he, when he throws in those little flares it's a really really nice touch yeah and i think that's another that's probably another thing too that's just like he's been playing this thing you know he knows it like the back of his hand and he's like finding little spots where he can just like add a little bit of distinction to it and i think when you're a new guitar player you kind of want to throw in some flares to be like yeah i know i know my way around this thing yeah, and it, it's funny, too, to to look at this song in terms of, you know, being the first song and to think about, like, that guitar line at the beginning because it's something that he does a lot in the early releases and, God damn it, you think it tracks, like, Southern Rock. Those are kind of, like, his guitar intros are all kind of built around that framework of just, like, all right, like, open a and we'll just like move around on the yeah. d string and yeah i think trouble breathing has yeah. like a huge portion that's just that you know and like i love that stuff it's simple but it's effective i feel like this is if there if there are like lasting aspects of of matt skiba in terms of influence on guitar players of people who, who are our mm-hmm. age it's like this sort of shit yep. like this is where we learn how to like you know play along with something but it's a little bit different than just doing power chords but you can totally learn how to like write leads by doing things like this yeah i mean it's just like he has certain songs that i think 
are so big for a reason and it's because of that it's because like you learn how to play the simple power chord ones and then you learn how to play the stuff that's a little weirder yeah and i mean i for me this was absolutely crucial to my development and learning how to play and just like learning more and more about like what i liked about music and thinking about why those things you know were there maybe even accidentally you know and how someone structured something and how someone put something there and i think you know, it's just, it's the commitment to believing in the material and everyone feeling confident with it. And yeah. there's just a lot of confidence in the song. Absolutely. Um, so the version that we're all familiar with, the self-titled, uh, originally appeared on, we think the sixth track, but we were, we're not sure. It yeah, could I'd be the last track copy. on uh, the Johan's Face Records compilation, Mark's a Dick and Gar's a Drunk. Never met Gar, but... Gar works at Reckless. Oh, okay. I'm Milwaukee. All right. Still. Well, title's pretty accurate from my experience. Um, yeah. I <laughs> Fun fact about this, I had two copies of the Johan's Face LP of this, and uh, there was a Pitchfork music festival where uh, Mark and was had a Johan's Face tent. I was talking to him, and I was talking to him about this. He's like, yeah, I don't even have a copy of it. And I was like, well, if you want one of mine, I'll uh-huh. like, bring it to you. So I like gave him the copy that I maybe he still has. Maybe oh, he's wow. given it to someone else. I don't know. I just remember going into Bucket of Blood and you can have conversations with that guy and you come back in and you just be like, what do you want? Yeah. I'm like, hey, wait, come on. Anyway, this came out 1997. Mm-hmm. Um and you know it's also on the demo and 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 we just you know we can kind of talk about the different iterations but really we kind of all think about this song as a closer oh yeah it's such a great last song i mean they i there was a period where i felt like they weren't playing it as much and i'm glad it's now been brought back in and almost replaces radio as like the final song of the night yeah um and there was a period where I would get a little annoyed where they wouldn't play the little intro bit, but in a live setting, it makes sense for them to count it off and go to the, you know, downbeats. You know, like it's, it's an effective move. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm glad it's something that is now like kind of a classic part of the trio canon. Yeah. It's kind of like one of the really remaining, uh, pieces that we get that carries through of the first incarnation mm-hmm. of this band. Yeah, this is this is Matt, Glenn, and Rob. And Rob's bass on this track is so so good. He mm-hmm. plays you know a lot of chords, but I think more specifically in contrast to Dan, his tone is just straight warmth. There is no plucking that you can hear on any of this, and yeah. it gives such a solid heavy layer to all of it and fitting within Matt's, you know, arpeggiations and like what he's doing with like the downstrokes on guitar, like Rob's like warm ass bass tone is so fucking perfect on this track. Yeah. And it's just one of those songs where everyone's doing everything they can in it. Yeah. Like everyone's just like Glenn's playing as hard as he can and doing as many things as he can. Rob's throwing in notes all over the place. You know, like to the point where, like, I'm sure if you just listen to the isolated bass track, you're like, you're not even playing a song. Right. Uh, it's and, just a wash, you know? Yeah. And then, like, you've got Matt, who's, like, really trying as hard as he can, trying to do as many things as he can, both vocally and on guitar. 
And of course, you have Glenn throwing in crazy backing vocals. The backing vocals on this track, which I love because it's it's something that whenever I'm a little bit removed from you know listening to it uh, on on repeat or you know a lot within a short period of time, it's funny to me how Glenn's register is so in line with Matt's until he gets to Cadillac, where yeah. it just goes like off into like a weird like yeah. oh are you 14 years old right now that's definitely Cadillac? what it sounds like yeah. it's wild <laughs> uh, and you hear it so much on the demo version of it yeah like the backing vocals are so high where it's just like whoa buddy yeah and i mean granted like it's a demo that's the, what it's for like i always think like there's a certain contingent of people who i think if something isn't produced well they don't see validity in it which i think is ridiculous yeah Talking about one person in particular, um, whose name I will not say. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, like, to me, it's like if the song is good, I don't really care how shitty it sounds. Like, yeah, it would be nice to hear a nice version. But, like, there's a charm to all of this. The demo version, the comp version that winds up on the comp. Right, You know, like, there is such a lo-fi dirty aesthetic that perfectly reflects where they were as a band where they were as people and i wouldn't change anything about either of those yeah and i you know i think that what you know draws you in is this long instrumental passage that's got a loud quiet dynamic and then you hit with this first line of i've got a now thorn my side the size of a cadillac which you're just like yeah Perfect. I'm there there with you. It's so good and it's unrefined. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's it's not an expression that he made up, but no. He takes it and it's fucking perfect driving through because backing out now would be next to impossible. Like here it goes. I mean it, it hits on that real like razor's edge he works on for so many albums, which is like taking kind of a cliche phrase building it out and making it interesting and making you feel it. And it's what makes the good songs great. And it's what makes the bad songs very bad. Cause when you don't stick that landing, it shows, you know, it's a difficult thing that he's trying to do. And when it works, it works. And when it doesn't, it doesn't, but here it really, really works. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, he takes it and he takes it really well. And I think it's, it's one of those, it's one of those instances too, where it's like, he's not thinking about his lyrics too much yet. No, nope. Like, why would he be? He's got nothing to, to look back on. He's got nothing to live up to. It's just like, this is, this is the perfect expression in this moment. This song is like, if it's marked by anything, it's just marked by desperation. <sighs> yeah. I mean, that's what made me latch on to this is it was a song that felt so emotive and so powerful and for a while so vague that I was right. very, very drawn to it. And then it stopped being so vague. Right. Because you hear it and your association is most certainly heartache. It's mm-hmm. someone that he's missing and it's a a time that he is just looking to push through as best as he can without uh without someone in his life and f- fast forward to the goddammit reissue yes the dvd uh and matt explains that the song is about weed yep that was a uh, 
It's a pretty disappointing moment for me. I'm not going to lie here. I think it's fucking awesome. Because... I don't. <laughs> but I do now. I, I, I didn't, I should say. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, because I've I've uh, never toked up a day in my life. Um, really? No. Never once? No. I tell people I do because I just want to get them off my back every yeah. time. They're like, you should try it. And I'm uh-huh. like, yeah, I'm fine. But you're, I mean, at this point, you shouldn't, I don't think. Because yeah. you probably wouldn't have that much fun. Yeah. It's just not something I need in my life. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I was definitely pretty disappointed uh-huh. to, to learn that yeah. when I was a kid uh-huh. who did not smoke and did not drink. I mean, what did you, I guess there's, you know, there's the, I mean, obviously they smoke weed, you yeah. know that much. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. All of their songs are about fucking drinking beers and now this song is about smoking weed and you're yeah, just but, like. But those songs about drinking beers aren't about how much they miss drinking beer. Uh-huh. You know, it's 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 a stand-in for or a means to an end to them to deal with something. Right. This Fair is play. Just, this is just about, man, isn't it cool to get high and I'm sad I can't? That's a bummer. That's It's not very evocative uh-huh. material. But for a while where I was pretty disappointed about it. I can I can deal with that now. You can deal with it now. You've, yeah, you, you've... I've lived with the reality of what he's singing uh-huh. about. Yes. Wow, it's amazing the the amount that you have able <laughs> been able to persevere. <laughs> I mean, I'm a martyr in so many ways. I mean, it's it was a funny revelation to hear that, like you know, like Mac I busted for for weed, you know. In sometime in 1995, and for 18 months, he's not allowed to smoke weed. And that 18 months line in the song, it's just like there's something that it, it's it hits you in a particular way because you're just like, what does that mean? Like, no, totally. What I can't breathe for 18 months. And when you start to unpack it, and the fact that it's like all about weed, it all makes sense not knowing what it's actually about there's so much vagueness in the song in its particularness yeah no totally and i think i think that's what makes songs good is people who are able to take it's a song that's very vague but very specific and oftentimes when people are using this level of specifics in songwriting you know it becomes more vague because you don't know what the fuck they're talking about right but you are able to latch on to it so much because you know if you can't identify with you know the exactitude of this you can identify with exactitude as a concept exactly you know which is kind of you look back at the beginning of pop music and it's all about like doing the most universal things that you yes. can and and then you get to a certain certain bend i i always look at grant hart i sure. always think about grant hart versus bob mold in who's do how grant hart is just so fucking specific he's such a storyteller yes. and bob all of his songs are just as vague as they come really yeah and you know there's there's greatness in all of that, and this is this is a moment. I, it's, it's so funny. She just sleeps and and She's, dreams and yeah. wheezes, and I love it. So it's much. amazing. Um, but going back to the revelation that it was about weed, I thought that that was fucking dope. Even though I like oh, don't good choice of words. I there. yeah, I didn't smoke weed then. I did smoke weed for a little bit after, and I don't smoke weed now. But I always enjoy like a good weed pun 
or weed humor or, you know, anything of the line, even though I don't participate anymore. The fact that you're looking at all of these things and like using dry my eyes, it, you know, when we're all thinking like, oh, right, because you're sad, sad yeah. and crying. And no, it turns out that Matskiba just walks around with Clearasil in his messenger bag yeah. all the time. Well, and I, here's the thing is I appreciate weed humor. I don't like, in the same way that I don't find like, oh, like you drink so much. It's not like an endearing personality trait to me. It's the uh-huh. same way with weed where it's like, yeah, you don't need to talk to me about this. Like I don't, you know what? I really like food. I don't talk to you about it for hours on it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, you know, it's, it's endearing because like he commits to the premise and he doesn't make it a joke really. Like it's, it's funny, but it's not like, uh, you know, and, and I think it's funny in the sense that like everybody who is living with him at the time is hearing this song and they're thinking like, oh, I'm the only one here that knows that this song is actually just about how he can't smoke weed for a year and a half because he's on probation. Yeah. But I mean, also like, you know, I think you can write a good song about something very dumb. I think it's happened many, many times because, you know, it, like you said, like it's so specific that it becomes vague. And then when you know it, you're like, Oh, okay. But it doesn't make the song any worse. No. You know? And it's one of those songs that like, he doesn't deliver these lines with like a, like he's not winking into the microphone. He's not uh-huh. doing all this shit. Like he's not trying to be funny. He's just like, yeah, I'm upset about this. And yeah, I wrote yeah, a yeah. song about it. And it just so happened to be this. And it also, you know, shows that like when you're starting a band, a lot of times, like there's a couple of songs you write, like aren't the most serious things. You're trying to figure it out. You're just writing about whatever. I'm sure he didn't expect that, you know, 22 years later, this would be a song he'd still be playing in a band he was still in. Oh. You know, I'm pretty sure that was not the goal of this. And playing it now where, at least in Chicago, it's decriminalized. Oh, Isn't it great, it should, the progress it that it's made? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's it's one of those things, too, where it's like, if anything has really, in my opinion, like, the meaning of it has really changed in, like, knowing that, you know what he's he's talking about what he's talking about it's i don't deserve this where you know if that's about heartache Mm -hmm. i don't deserve to feel this fucking shitty and horrible and now that it's about weed it's like yeah nobody deserves this (laughs) yeah no totally doing anything wrong totally exactly (laughs) and i mean i think there's a lot we could unpack with that but i think there is like a part two where it's like there is a ridiculousness that anyone would be in trouble ever Uh for this and i mean granted you know, there's there's still a lot of that, unfortunately. One thing about this about this track that we like, you know, haven't really touched upon though, is it's that section in particular and the way that that builds up and the way that they, with real limited tools, are able to put together such a buildup that is as thick as it is mm-hmm. and it's as noisy as it is, and to just have like you know some guitar noise going on in the back and like a few different drum tracks like aside from you know there's the rolling tom and then there's kind of uh derek just building a little bit and like hitting things and keep doing that i knew i was gonna do that again it's okay um uh so frank is uh is hitting the drums tony's doing a great (laughs) job in this 
and uh and yeah just ex- excellent uh bass playing from Raphael and <laughs> I mean Theo doing those bass chords is just it's it's unlike anything else I straight up knew since we were since we're you know covering different songs today i knew that at some point i was gonna i was gonna get that wrong it's at least i didn't call him gordon (laughs) i kind of wish you did um but yeah classic track i think that it's it is it's one of those that just like stands up and it stands i think as a as a signpost in this era of the band and really like you know even before Derek comes in it's Mm -hmm. like still like up top as it's just one of the one of the best things that this band does and it's dynamic and they they don't really go back to this well like too many times and i think that's what makes it good and i think it's what makes the times they do still pretty good you know i mean that that's a it's a hard thing to do if they had a lot of songs like this it would feel very almost disingenuous like this isn't a thing you can do a lot of you know you don't write many great closing tracks in your career Mm -hmm. they've been able to do it more than most i would say and uh yeah this is just it's it's a perfect set closer and it's it's a good closer and it's just it's so scrappy too i think that's what i really <laughs> really like, yeah. love about about like this era that and that carries into goddamn as well is that there's just like there's just a, a rigidness to all of it there's a there's an imperfection to mm-hmm. to how it is and the, and the parts that are usually like smoothed over as a band progresses like this this track is raw and it's desperate and it's i think that you resonate with so much of the emotion that's happening in the performance and you know whatever whatever you want to hey, you want to sing about think I about mean, when he's singing it it makes perfect sense he was once in a band called blunt so <laughs> what you going to do we rate this song 5 skulls out of 5 i rate this song five gravity bongs out of five gravity bongs Hmm. is that where you get high and you go to the moon (laughs) do Um, you like to toke the reefer the uh, devil's lettuce it's where it's where you you finish your two liter bottle of mountain dew and then you you grab your nearest trash bale and you dump all of your tissues out of it and then you yeah you go to the moon uh hey if you like what we're doing here, uh, subscribe to it on iTunes, rate it, write a review, tell a friend about the show. We love spending this time together. We love talking about this band. That's why we do it. We are so stoked to hear that you're enjoying it and that you're having fun with the conversation. We are going to continue to do it right now. Whether you want us to or not. But for you, it's next week, so we will see you then. Breathe in next week, baby. I don't deserve this. No.